Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. Hey there, strangers. We thought we'd surprise you during this off week with a special bonus feed drop, a preview of the kind of premium material we release in our Patreon feed. Each month, we put out a Patreon-only episode of One Strange Thing, covering more well-known and famous cases of the strange, inexplicable, and downright bizarre. And we even let our listeners vote on their favorite topics. You can also find a premium blog write-up each month, sharing a forgotten story from the archives, and plenty of fun news snippets that couldn't quite make a whole episode, but that we couldn't resist sharing either. We hope you'll enjoy this surprise release of The Poet, written by the author of all of our Patreon episodes, Liv Fallon. And consider joining us over there for lots more good, clean, and very weird fun. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. For today's story, we went back to the Dark Ages. No, not the medieval ones. We're talking about America in the 1800s, when newspapers were filled with the gruesome and the gloomy. It was a time when dark romanticism, the goth cousin of famous works like Leaves of Grass and Walden, took hold of the public imagination. And there was no one who could craft the macabre quite like Edgar Allan Poe. Now, if you're a fan of horror or mysteries, you probably saw this coming. And you are among friends. If you're new here, buckle up. Because the death of Edgar Allan Poe was, and still is, a real-life mystery. The end of Edgar Allan Poe's life began on Thursday, September 27, 1849. Poe was in Richmond, Virginia, giving public lectures and gathering donations for a new literary magazine, The Stylus. Although Poe was born in Boston, 
He grew up with his foster parents in Richmond and frequently returned there for literary work. While in town, he visited his younger sister, his foster parents, and his fiancée, a childhood sweetheart who he was preparing to marry in the coming weeks. When it was time to head back to New York City, Poe had little choice but to pursue a circuitous route. He headed back to Baltimore and then planned to board a boat that would connect him from Baltimore to Philadelphia. After an appointment in Philadelphia, he was to head home to New York. But Poe never made that appointment. Instead, he arrived in Baltimore and promptly went missing for the next five days. On October 3rd, Election Day in Baltimore, a local printer thought he'd recognize the incredibly disheveled Poe at a local bar. The printer sent a note to a Dr. Snodgrass, a friend of Poe's within the city, who quickly confirmed that this was indeed the famous poet. Strangers, remember that Poe was found on Election Day. This tidbit of information becomes very important later. A published letter from Dr. Snodgrass describes the encounter. I instantly recognized the face of one whom I had often seen and knew well, although it wore an aspect of vacant stupidity which made me shudder. The intellectual flash of his eye had vanished, or rather had been quenched in the bowl. Dr. Snodgrass was quick to blame alcohol. He described Poe's clothes as utterly shabby, and in a soiled condition. He was dressed in a evidently second-hand coat and ill-fitting pants, a hat, and a crumpled shirt, all of which were assumed to belong to someone else. Poe was, apparently, something of a snappy dresser. Dr. Snodgrass and many others guessed that Poe had either been mugged or cheated out of his usual clothing. But Poe wasn't in any state to tell them if they were right. He seemed almost shell-shocked, bordering on comatose. He was taken to the hospital that same day and was roomed in a section that specialized in alcohol problems. He remained unconscious until the next day. When he finally woke, he was incoherent, tremoring, sweating, and hallucinating. He was able to explain that he didn't know what had happened to his belongings, but he couldn't relay anything else. Over the next two days, nothing his caregivers did seemed to calm him. He repeatedly called for someone named Reynolds, though no one has been able to identify a person with that name who had any connection to Poe. He couldn't sleep. It was as if the madness he wrote about welled up within him. Then, on Sunday, October 7th, four days after he was first spotted in that Baltimore bar, Edgar Allan Poe passed away. According to the attending physician, Poe said, Lord, help my poor soul, and expired. The following Monday, an announcement in the Baltimore Sun described Poe's death as an illness. Indeed, at the time, doctors weren't required to write death certificates or perform a post-mortem examination. So, Poe's illness was somewhat comfortably undefined. He was buried in Baltimore, on his grandfather's lot, 
in a Presbyterian cemetery. In Dr. Snodgrass's letter, the one we mentioned earlier, Poe's death is attributed to mania opotu, or madness from drink. That, of course, is just a very 19th century label for alcoholism. And it was a fair assumption. Poe had suffered from alcoholism through his 38 years of life. Even two of his own relatives had refused to house him because of his mean, drunken temper. He drank himself to death, as far as anyone could see or care to assume. And this diagnosis would have been the final word on the case of Poe's death. Just another great mind lost to self-destruction. Or it might have been. Except for one strange thing. Dr. Snodgrass, he had a clear ulterior motive for suggesting alcoholism. He was an avid member of the temperance movement. Much like Poe, Dr. Snodgrass was an editor and author, but he wrote extensively about the evils of alcohol. He had even managed to convince Poe to join the temperance movement. According to the Edgar Allan Poe Society, Poe had joined the Sons of Temperance on August 27th, just two months before his death, and membership required complete sobriety. As far as anyone knew, Poe had stayed sober for those two months. What would have made him fall so far from the wagon? That published letter we quoted earlier Dr. Snodgrass wrote it in response to an open letter from the women's temperance movement about Poe's death and burial. In fact, most of the early archival papers about Poe's death reference Dr. Snodgrass and his statements, which, by today's standards, would be unacceptable. Although he was a physician, Dr. Snodgrass did not treat Poe, and there was no death certificate to prove him right or wrong. In fact, there are at least nine different theories about Poe's death. These range from medical problems like a brain tumor, the flu, or syphilis, to beatings, election fraud, and heavy metal poisoning. As implausible as some of those theories sound, there's a reason that each of them is still debated. Let's start with the two theories that made a ripple in the papers over 100 years after Poe's death. The first theory centers on the fact that Poe was found on Election Day. Yes, we promised that tidbit was important, and now it comes round to deliver. This theory has an uncomfortably avian-sounding name, Cooping. According to Smithsonian Magazine, Cooping was a way for 19th century gangs to force repeat voting. Strangers would be kidnapped, drugged, or stupefied with alcohol, and shepherded between polls to vote over and over for one candidate. At the time, gangs would scout victims as early as two days before the polls opened. Poe, who supposedly would grow violently ill after one glass of wine, would have been severely affected by two full days of forced liquor. When he became insensible, they might have left him at the bar, which happened to be located in a polling house. Yes, that's right. 
Apparently, bars and polling houses were a thing. Just one more way to reward civic duty. The Cooping Theory was first published in 1949. The preamble to the article says it was, quote, based on a number of biographies and checked by Richard H. Hart, vice president of the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore. Smithsonian Magazine provides additional details, stating that in 1870, Poe's biographer received letters proposing this theory. The Cooping Theory could explain why Poe suddenly broke his sobriety and why he was dressed in someone else's clothes, but it doesn't explain all of his missing days. Remember, Poe was missing from September 29th until October 3rd, five full days. Likely, the gangs would only have had Poe captive for the last three. To fill this gap, the author of the Cooping article made some educated guesses. The author suggests Poe started his trip to Baltimore with a high fever. When he arrived in Baltimore, exhausted and craving a drink, Poe tried to visit a doctor he knew from outside of town. His friend wasn't home, so he gave in to the cravings and went to a bar. It wasn't until much later that he remembered his business in Philadelphia. So he caught a late train back into town, but was cooped by the gang before he could travel on. Now, the linchpin of this theory rests on one leap of faith. Assuming that Poe was being held captive by cooping gangs from October 1st through the 3rd, do we accept that he spent September 29th and 30th trying to stop a fever and avoid alcohol? If not, then what happened to Poe after he disembarked in Baltimore? The second theory that made a splash in the papers was published in 1996. This one claims that Poe was killed by something completely unrelated to alcohol, rabies. As outlandish as this sounds, the theory was publicized by a medical professional, Dr. Benitez. At a clinical pathology conference, Dr. Benitez was given an anonymous list of symptoms to diagnose. Think of it like a medical icebreaker exercise. Most of the time, these practice rounds are for hypothetical patients. This time, Dr. Benitez had been handed Edgar Allan Poe's symptoms, and the doctor diagnosed him with rabies. Here's the theory. At some point before or during his trip to Baltimore, Poe was bitten by a rabid animal. As much as that seems like something you'd remember, Apparently, one in four rabies victims don't recall an animal bite. So Poe could have been bitten and forgotten about it or never registered it at all. And he didn't show symptoms until it was too late. The symptoms Poe experienced, a comatose state, heavy sweating, hallucinations, rapid death, are all symptoms of rabies. It sounds solid so far, right? But another medical paper, this one published a decade and a half later, in 2010, argues that another key symptom of rabies disproves this whole thing. Hydrophobia, which literally means fear of water, occurs in rabies patients because they have a hard time swallowing it. Although Poe's doctor noted that he had difficulty drinking water, he did not say Poe was afraid or reluctant to drink. 
On top of that, the 2010 paper states that rabies progresses from hydrophobia to coma to death. Poe woke up from his coma at the hospital, then progressed to difficulty swallowing and death. Much like the other stories we've told, for every plausible theory about Poe's death, there's an equally plausible theory debunking it. Could Poe have been mugged and beaten to death? That could explain his clothes, his missing belongings, his delirious state, but no one described blood or head trauma. Or was Poe poisoned, perhaps by mercury? For months before his death, he was prescribed mercury chloride because he'd been exposed to cholera. The mercury could have built up in his system and driven him into delirium. Yet, postmortem samples of Poe's hair were later tested and showed mercury levels much lower than the threshold for poisoning. Here's one final theory. Did Edgar Allan Poe die of a brain tumor? The answer is maybe. According to a 2010 paper titled The Final Days of Edgar Allan Poe, Clues to an Old Mystery Using 21st Century Medical Science, quote, brain tumors most commonly result, depending on location, in headaches, visual problems, seizures, and focal neurologic signs, including weakness or paralysis of neurologic distribution affected. But again, some of those symptoms are missing from Poe's illness, and this theory couldn't explain everything. Without any post-mortem examinations or a death certificate, there's just no way we can confirm what happened. And yet, people continue to pore over the records, every letter, every article, every rumor, hoping for something to suddenly click into place. It's as if Poe is beating the underside of the floorboards, reminding us of his death. It's almost as if the master of the macabre has written us in to one of his stories. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>